he has forgiven us. We're following him. We love him. We have his nature in us. He is the light of the world. But he is also the light of the life. And he says, those who believe in him will not walk in darkness. The reason why he was rejected and despised, the Bible says, is because people loved darkness. That's it. The reason why people have an issue with the Lord today is because of darkness. And people do not want to come to light. So they did should be revealed. We are not ashamed to ask for forgiveness. You see, from a concept of sanctification that is purely ritualistic and cultural in the, New Te in the Old Testament, sanctification is more related to spiritual morality in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's more associated with a lot of rituals. And it becomes part of the culture. But the spirit behind it is the same. Separation. Things sanctified unto the Lord in the temple are to be separated from any other items. So the idea, the spirit behind it is the same. Now, it's very, very difficult when you read the Christian literature to be clear between the distinction between sanctification and holiness. And we end up using the two interchangeably. That's okay. But sanctification happens is the Lord's work. We cooperate with the Lord initially by receiving him, inviting him. He gives us his Holy Spirit and he starts the initial work. That means he separates us unto himself. And then comes the process which the Holy Spirit performs. And that will continue. We won't be perfect on this earth. But one day, when we see the Lord Jesus face to face, the Bible says, we shall be like him. Amen. Sanctification and holiness are not a competition for which one should feel brave or superior to others. No. The Bible says it should be finished. It should end. It should lead. It should be perfected unto the fear of the Lord. 
So true holiness and sanctification leads to increased reverence, love, fellowship, and fear to the Lord. We have been separated unto the Lord who has made us to be a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Why? In order to proclaim his praise because he took us from darkness unto his marvelous light. You see? Okay. Let's go to the main reading now. Please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And we will read from verse 14. But before we do so, let me just mention the fact that Holiness is fully expressed in God's nature. Remember the vision of Isaiah? What he saw? He saw angels singing what you've been singing here. He was a holy man, respected prophet. But when he saw that, he said, I am lost. I have impure and holy lips and I dwell amongst people of unholy lips. That's a holy man. That's the effect it should produce on us when we draw near to God. When we fellowship with God. It doesn't make us look brave but desperate for God. For fellowship. For more Christ-likeness. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 to the next chapter, verse 1. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and work among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Verse 18, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Amen. This passage is a clear indication that believers should, should separate themselves from the ways of unbelievers. 
from iniquity, from darkness, Belial, which is Satan, and idolatry. Belial, Belial means worthlessness, wickedness. But in this context here, it refers to the evil one, in contrast to Jesus Christ. So you can easily, reasonably, reasonably draw two lists under two headings. Christ, righteousness, the temple of God, and on the believers, and on the other side, Satan, unbelievers, lawlessness, and idolatry. So, being children of God and followers of Jesus Christ, we align ourselves under his headship, for he is light. Remember what he says? I know the devil is coming, he has nothing in me. Absolutely nothing. Total holiness. And he is able to perfect us and to give us that power and ability to resist against and fight against darkness. He, not us. Not by human wisdom, by, but by the spirit of the living God. Now, okay, decision is made. The context of verse 14 regarding the being yoked together with unbelievers. The context can be found in Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 10 where it was forbidden to plow, to yoke ox with donkey together for obvious reasons. Number one, while an ox was a clean animal, a donkey wasn't. Number two, yoking them together would not be effective because they won't have the same steps. They won't pull on the same, in the same way. But the basic principle of a yoke is symmetry. Symmetry. And the whole point is to combine the effect of the two to have an effective labor by synchronizing the movement and the work they're doing they become more effective as they plow second context Jesus Christ he offers us to take his yoke and he said it's easy and his burden is light. You see, in the context of ser serving God, Jesus Christ the Lord is offering to partner with us and say, let's go. Harvest is huge, is huge. Challenges are big. Difficulties intense. But come with me. 
be associated with me, and let's go together. So Paul is echoing those two contexts. Not to be yoked together with the unbelievers. Here is a reason, an illustration. The whole point here is in the context of serving and fellowshipping with God. Here is an illustration. If a believer gets himself entangled in all sorts of pursuits, let me give you an example. We are going to fight to save the world, climate change. We are going to save the environment. Because God says he will destroy those who destroy the earth. That's good. But you see, you put all your energy, all your life, all your resources in it, but the people who are leading those movements are non-believers. And you don't even know why they're doing it. You're putting yourself under a strange yoke. It's not as simple as that. It's ideology. If you push to the end, what do you find? Mother Earth. Gaia. All sort of idolatry behind that. Do you understand? But you are plowing together with them under the same yoke and equally doing something you think, I'm going to save humanity, I'm going to save this, but they are the ones designing the plan. They are the ones knowing where they're going with that and you are serving what you don't know. I'm not saying you should go and burn your garden this afternoon. <laughs> In the church of Galatia, false brethren came in by stealth. The Bible says, to spy out believers' liberty in Christ. They introduced themselves unnoticed and start teaching things to spy out on the believers' liberty. The Bible says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And if the Son set you free, you will be free indeed. Christ has liberated us freed us from that bondage, but there is always a risk of ourselves putting ourselves again under that bondage. Whether with false teachers or with other people. Let us begin to grow, to know Christ, to deepen, to live that liberty. We are free is a different kind of freedom. There is free to sin, which is not godly, and there is free from sin, which is biblical. 
We don't have to. God does not tempt anybody. It is our own covetousness. We are seduced. We are tempted. And then we fall into sin. It's not God. Doesn't the Bible say that? There's no temptation that comes our way that is not common. And with every single temptation, we give a way out. That's God, and it's true. We trust God. He will help us. He will lead us all the way. Now, this does not mean you should kill all your friends unsaved, but it means if you maintain the contact with them, you have to have a clear goal for that, to win them for Christ. And we should not make them think that we're living by the same standard. There should be a difference, always challenging the unbelievers. Well, I didn't plan to say this, but let me give you a testimony. I have at work uh, my manager who is quite comfortable with uh, cursing the name of the Lord. He's a high authority, number two in the organization. But during the last staff meeting, he went a step too far. In a big meeting, national meeting, everyone is on the call so everybody can hear, could hear what he was saying. And he couldn't locate his PowerPoint presentation. And publicly, he says something really, really bad. Associating the name of the Lord. Publicly. I was very uncomfortable with that. I kept quiet, went home, and say, Lord, on Sunday I will be teaching on holiness. But this man has gone a step too far. Should I leave this like that? Well, if I speak to him, this may trigger huge hostility. It's the number two. He knows I'm a Christian. But there was no peace in him, in me. And I pray, Lord, I have to do something about this. Give me strength and wisdom how to do this. And we went with him in our one-to-one -one weekly meeting, discussed all the stuff. At the end, I say... Uh, could you allow me uh, to tell you something which is really negatively personal? He said yes. He says yes. I say, um, you said something during the meeting for people like me who believe in Jesus as the Lord, it is deeply offending. But before I had finished the sentence, he says to me, yes. I'm really sorry about that. I'm really sorry. And I hope that that will speak to him and he won't do it next time. But you see, it's a small thing that can trigger something really bad. Even in that small thing, you go to rely on the Lord God. If you do with lack of wisdom, then it's not good. And I went back and praised the Lord that actually 
I was able to tell him openly that I'm a Christian. He knows it, but I told him, and that you should not do that because Christ is my Lord. Amen. <clears throat> Which part has the believer with the unbelievers? Which agreement between the temple of God and idols? Now, The temple of God here is both his house and this temple, you, as the temple of God. For the Bible says, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the house of the Lord where we serve the Lord, natural talents, ability, desire, and influence should never replace the need for true repentance before one can serve God in his house. The service of to the Lord is for believers. However skillful and talented one might be, that should not replace true repentance. before even considering an opportunity to serve God. Why? Because serving God without believing him is the mechanism of choice by which people become <coughs> false prophets, false teachers. Remember John 10? Those are people who claim in the sheep fall by the other way, not by the door of the sheep. Holiness to the Lord God. Now, the passage we're looking at here is certainly not a justification for separation or divorce. If an unbeliever is already married, a believer is already married to a non-believer, this is not a license for divorce. No. No. What God wants is to live with the prayerful hope that the unbelieving spouse will come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And Paul discusses that extensively in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, how to handle that situation. However, if one is not married yet, it is not a good thing to marry an unbeliever. It is a deadly trap. Soon or later. In every sense. When you have an opportunity to consider, now I'm talking in particular to young people. When you have a possibility to consider and thinking about your future, think prayerfully with God, trust, wait on Him before it's too late. 
Don't be attracted by material appearances. Seek the Lord who sees beyond appearances because the cost can be heavy. Not one month, men of God are without dealing with these situations where people put themselves under strange yoke in the bond of marriage. Disaster upon disaster upon disaster every day. It hurts. It really hurts. Now, some people disguise themselves as Christians. When they're about to get married, they disguise themselves in the church as Christians. But the reality will be revealed after. And some very, very strange behavior can be observed, which cannot begin to be considered as Christians. Young people, be wise. Rely and pray to God who sees the hearts, who knows the reality, who goes beyond appearances. Holiness to God. In the Old Testament, the high priest, first one, Aaron, was required to wear something on his turban there, remember? A place that said holiness to the Lord. Kadosh, holiness to the Lord. But at the same time, he had some bells there. At the edge of his robes there, they were making a noise. Holiness to God, service and praise. But holiness comes first. To some extent, it is leaders' responsibility, our responsibility, to tell you these things. To teach the fear of the Lord. Why am I saying that? Do you remember in Revelation chapter 2, 18 to 29 maybe, in the church of Thyatira, what was the problem in that church? Well, we studied that in our house group. Isn't it John? Last Thursday? Thank you. <laughs> and John said, Jezebel is the spirit of control. Yes. And then when I say, yes, but uh, the spirit of Jezebel is not, is, not, is not a female spirit, everybody in the house group, I say, he can possess men too. Everybody, will. we never heard that before. I said, but you've just told me that it's a spirit of control. They are controlling men. Another day for that. The problem in the church of Thyatira was the church responsibility. I know you see Jezebel teaching immorality and people to eat things sacrificed to idol and seducing the men of God. That was, not, that was the problem, but that was not the cause. The root cause was that the church allowed her to operate. That was the problem. 
there is a responsibility, collective and individual, to uphold the holiness of the Lord in his house. However it comes, however it manifests, it's everyone's responsibility. Let me for a sec, I ask a question on Thursday. Jezebel, is it a person or a spirit? <laughs> a spirit. In Tatara, it was both. It was a real person possessed by that spirit. It was a real person possessed by that spirit of old. Manifested, manifest by exactly the same approach Jezebel Ahab, the wife, operated. It was exactly the same. Well, I'm telling you about not marrying the unbelievers. As an example, how on earth could a king in Israel, with the commandment of God, repeat commandment of God, forbidding to do that, go and marry a strange woman? He must have known that Jezebel was a daughter of Etzbal. Etzbal was her dad, a priest of Baal. His name meant with Baal. Well, surely when he went to marry her, he must have seen the setting and everything and the ceremony and everything. He still went in and see what she did. The damage she caused. That is for another day. Strange fire. Holiness to God in his house. The context of verse 16 is found in Leviticus 26. I'm not going to read that. You can read at home. Leviticus 26, where the Lord is warning his people and forbidding them to enter on all sorts of ungodly associations. And then he says, if you do that, I will dwell amongst you. I will be your father. Now, this is not necessarily about salvation. No. This is about the comfort we get. When we obey God, when we flee from iniquity, when we love his holiness, there is a price to pay. There is a cost always to live for God. And if we do that, the Lord God Almighty is well aware that it's not easy. There are difficulties and challenges, and he says, I will be your father. I will receive you. I will comfort you throughout the way. As you flee those things and you pay the price and you come to me, 
and you increase fellowship with me, I will not leave you alone. You will know the peace. You will know my true increased fellowship with me. Mixture is not biblical. We have to choose. We are his own special people. In the Bible, we are exhorted to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's true. But the Lord also commands us to come out and touch not what is unclean. Now, one may say, oh, no, oh, that's too harsh, you know. I'm going to stay with them and I'm going to change them. Well, that's your philosophy. God say, come out. We have to recognize sinful and doubtful activities and stay away from them because we love Christ. Not justify, recognize. And we, if we fall in them, we have to be honest and truthful and recognize that we have sin and not justified. No. Recognize, ask for forgiveness, continue to run. Remember, we are not porks, we are not swine that enjoy mud. We are not dogs that go back to eat what they vomit. We are sheep. need to be very careful here because when I say sheep, my daughter says it's not sheep, it's sheep. <laughs> Do you know what sheep means? Sheep, does she know? Sheep, yeah? Okay. Because a sheep is a boat. <laughs> okay. A sheep. <laughs> Praise God. English is good. <laughs> Les brebis du Seigneur is easy in French. Brebis. The word sheep in Greek means Pro button. Pro before button steady. So walking, walking steadily forward, following the master, not going back. We are the sheep of the Lord. Not returning there. Not putting ourselves under bondage again. That's what Paul says. Again, we've been delivered. Paul said he was called to, so that people should turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of to God. Why should we go again and put ourselves under that bondage again? Crucifying Christ again. Well, we can give countless examples here, including yoga, Christian yoga. Christian meditation. Doesn't the Bible say, in the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comfort delight my soul. The word anxiety, I love it in that context. I have anxiety, yoga, yoga. I'm just doing for physical reason. Why don't you just to the, to the gym? Well, every single posture in yoga is meant to attract 
a spiritual reality entity. Every single posture, whether it's Hatha Yoga or whatever it is. Stay away. Don't justify. It is at the heart of Hinduism. The holiness we are talking about is not an effort to feel brave or superior to others. I've said that already. It is to be perfected in the fear of God. We are to become increasingly conformed to the Lord Jesus Christ in our daily lives. We will not attain perfection in this life, but practical sanctification is a process that goes through our lifetime and will be perfected when we see the Lord. Uh, let's turn to, turn to Romans chapter 13. Please. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 to 14. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at end. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in reverie and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its last. That's why we were, that's the reason why we were about nine of us on Friday interceding. We have to subdue the flesh. You see, the flesh like indulgence. If you are invited to a wedding party three months before, some people begin to think about how they're going to present themselves. How nice the food will be. It doesn't matter if the party goes on and on and on. But prayer, prayer, oh, God understands. He knows I'm so weak. You know, I've been working all the week. God is merciful, is good. I will pray at home. Church meeting. I think John said on Friday that it's good to come to the church on Sunday, but the devil works 24-7. He knows no holiday. It's time to close ranks. It's time to go an extra mile. It's time to subdue the flesh. It's not easy, never meant to be. Otherwise, Paul won't be talking about fighting the good fight of faith. It's a fight. The first enemy these days is the flesh, as the brother said last week. 
Actually, you could wear, ignore this teaching and just go and listen to Brother Alex teaching from last uh, Sunday. Wake up from sleep, awake. On Friday, we learn a new song. Facing a task unfinished by Frank Oldson. Facing a task unfinished. The first verse goes like this. Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees. A need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know thee renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. I became interested by the word slothful is and found out that this word is in the King James authorized version but in more recent newer version there is the word laziness and then I compared the two I found that this one is very deep yes it includes laziness but also someone who cannot does not does not want to discern and understand times and season. Slothfulness, really bad. And this author here, pray, rebuke our slothfulness. Rebuke it, Lord. And Paul say, awake from sleep, awake. You see, a lazy person always thinks he will do tomorrow what he can do today. I will start praying tomorrow. When the new year comes, I will start attending the church meetings. And that will never happen. It will be tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. The time to wake up to awake is now. Wake up from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. It's not easy for anybody. Every Christian is running. It's a fight. Everyone. It's not easy. We're all busy. Some are busier than others. Some travel miles, 20 miles, 30 miles to come. Time is evil. Turn with me to one verse. Well, I can just quote it for you. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 18. Ecclesiastes 10, 18. By much laziness, in your version is probably slothfulness, the building decays. And through idleness of the hand, the house leaks. Too much laziness. The building will collapse. The building of your household, the building of your marriage, the building of your house, your children will collapse, will leak because of laziness. Too much entertainment. Too much TV. Too much food. 
too much days out. The house will leak. The building, whatever it is, will collapse soon or later. And we will blame God. But God is warning you and me today before it's too late. On Friday, we spend a lot of time praying for married couples and families and households. We are all under threat. Families are under intense threat. The devil is working very hard to destroy. A small misunderstanding sparkles everything. In a huge disproportion, that can only be the work of the devil, who is targeting our children, our spouses. We have to wake up. Man, man, wake up. Take responsibility. Do not leave it only to ladies to do Bible study with children. Wake up, take time. Children have the unique opportunity to have godly parents. It's tough out there already. Men, wake up. Uphold godliness. Teach holiness, the fear of God. Do Bible study. It's not easy, but it's healthy. Take time to do it. Take time for your children. Every day. Many years ago, I met with a brother who just disappeared from the church. And I said to him, how have you been? He said to me, I'm so busy with street evangelism and witnessing. I need to sort out things at home. I say, uh, is that the God of the Bible who allows you not to do Bible study at home with your children and your wife and go to preach in the streets to feel good and brave? You see, I call that activism. Activism is different from ministry. Activism, you do things, you don't even believe on them, you just do them. Street evangelism, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, but the reality is empty. Be careful. I'm repeating myself to my fellow dear beloved men. <coughs> strong families make strong church. It is our responsibility and it's not easy. We all go to work, we're all very tired. We all manage the family situation, wider families, etc. But those who are under our authority, we cannot neglect that. Open the Bible every day. Once you get into it, the Lord will help. And the children will love it. Actually, you will be doing it for yourself. You do it for the family, you do it for yourself, and you grow as well. And you will not imagine the impact on your children and on your family. Just having Jesus Christ welcome in your family, praying together around the table, opening the Bible. Yeah, it's true, kid may messing up around, but it's glorious, it's good. And it helps bring peace in the family. As we draw to an end,
I've actually finished. I just want to read for you as a prayer. We should have done this together, just reading together these two paragraphs because we don't know the song. Actually, we can. If you take the songs of fellowship in front of you, let's read together just two verses. Song number 88. Shall we stand up and pray together and, and, and read this together? prayer. I know we don't have enough. We can share. So that's number 88. And we just read together verse 3 and verse 4. Anyone wants this one? I have it written here. Song number 88, we just freely and prayerfully read together verse 3 and 4, shall we? We bear the torch that flaming fell from the end of those who gave their lives, proclaiming that Jesus died and rose. Ours is the same commission, the same glad message ours, fired by the same ambition to thee we yield our powers. O Father who sustained them, O Spirit who inspired, Savior whose love constrained them to toil with zeal and tired, from cowardice defend us, from lethargy awake, forth the dying errand send us to labor for thy sake. Amen. Please be seated. Loving Father, we bless you. And we commit our lives, our church, our families, unto your holy hand. Hold our hand, blessed Savior. Guide us, O thou great Jehovah. Help us, Lord, in this journey. Darkness is intensifying, is thicker and thicker and thicker. Help us, O Lord. Light of the world, light of life. Lord, help us. Sustain us, Lord, in our weaknesses, Lord, and raise us up. For your name's sake, we pray. For it is not by strength, not by might, but by your Holy Spirit. Loving Father, we love you, for you loved us first. Help us, O oh Lord, to press on and to continue. By the might of your power, to the glory of the Father, and in the name of Jesus.